I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens between them. Yay, life. Yeah. Took you a long time to get to this life. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Really long. So we recently got an email that got us talking, and usually we save questions up for all at once things, but this sort of became its own discussion, and so we thought it was worth sitting down and talking about adaptability. Yes, adaptability. So what does adaptability look like for you? I mean, a lot of us have had to just sort of adapt to our lives and our identities and who we are and where we are. And it's a coping skill. You learn to make do with what you have in order to get to where you want. But what did that look like for you? How did you adapt? Well, what I've realized over some of our extent of podcasting and, you know, as we talk about those things, things I didn't realize that I was doing, and those are sprinkled throughout our podcast, so I probably won't hit all of them at once. But some of the adaptability is very familiar to a lot of trans people and that you start to ignore things. Yes. And you get really good at it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's ignoring other, uh, for me, other men around me because I wasn't like those men. Yes. So I would ignore their existence, their proximity, their features. Secondary sex characteristics were blurred into a nothingness of, yeah, there's a person over there and I'm not going to pay attention to him because he's a him. And I didn't realize until I started transitioning how much of that I had blurred out, sort of just put out of focus and out of my awareness until when I was transitioning and I started to notice these things because they were no longer needing to be outside of my periphery. For me, they were no longer needing to be blurred because I was starting to get some of those characteristics. And I think having those characteristics made it not just unblurry, but brought it into particularly sharp focus because as you start developing masculine characteristics, then you're doing this comparison thing of, well, there's another guy who doesn't have much hair on his chest, so... There's another guy who is short like me, or there's another guy who doesn't have a lot of muscle comparing who has what and how you fit in with the entire gender group. Right. The awareness of my transition and everything from the squareness of my jaw to how tall I was or how many whiskers I had, you know, those things I would notice. I'd get in an elevator to go somewhere and notice there's three other guys in this elevator and they're all short like me. Yay. I didn't realize that that was going on around me. Mm-hmm. So the awareness of those people around me that had these male secondary sex characteristics, I didn't need to tune them out because part of the tuning them out was so that I didn't have to remember that I didn't and couldn't at that moment have those things. Because now you can. Yes. So that was part of my adaptability was putting things out of focus that were not comfortable for me. So that that was definitely part of my adaptability. Now, in that case, you'd have to be a person who has some sort of ability to filter that out. 
Yes. I had d developed or I came with a filter and I developed it further or something. And there's a lot of research on adaptability as an innate trait mm -hmm. or as a skill that can be developed. Mm -hmm. And there has been research done on this in settings of PTSD mm -hmm. and individuals who are survivors of trauma. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of research about adaptability and mindset and dedication, stick-to-itiveness, overcomerness, survivorness that has been done in regards to chronic illness, cancer, those kinds of things where they've clearly shown that your ability to adjust your own mindset and your ability to monitor your own incoming filters and adapt your own self-talk are definitely survival skills, psychologically and physically. It's understandable there's a lot of curiosity about all these things that you just listed as far as you know, resilience and That's the word I've survival. been looking for, resilience. It's a big, big word in psychology. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like that because where there are no places to filter enough, for even for the person filtering, you're very aware where the filters are not doing enough of a job. Hmm. I can look back at that and see where I would be trying to become more blind about things because I really didn't want to look at them. So not being able to filter out some parts of things would make me just then put them out of focus. And it's it's a, to me, it's a different thing. Filtering out and just plain putting a whole section or segment of life out of focus is sort of like being able to, in, in the meditations I did when I was working on pain management and all that stuff around surgery, those meditations would talk about being able to Turn down the volume. Yes. It's it's like the difference between being able to change the channel and being able to just turn down the volume. You can't get rid of that channel, but you can turn it down. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can turn it down farther, and the other external noise then helps with that. And sometimes you turn it down and you still hear what they're saying. You know, if you're turning the radio down or something, you want to turn it off because it's a commercial. Mm -hmm. And you turn it way down or it's... I don't want to hear this part of this news story right, right now. Right. This is not what I can handle at this time of day or something. Right. I know already know this news story. I don't want to hear it again or these parts or something. And, and you know they're still talking, and so you know what they're saying. And then if you're driving and there's the noise of the tires and, and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So there's other things around us that add to that adaptability of the filter and the volume control. Right. And those can include things that you can put into your life. Yes. On purpose. And I say that because then there's other things you don't put into your life on purpose. No. But they still distract you. Yes. And that might be okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people put or allow a lot of stressors into their life because the focus on those external stressors can be easier than the focus on internal stressors that they have no other way of managing. Right. So I think that that's an, another facet of adaptability as well for me is having ways to manage it. And I, I know I've mentioned this in, in other podcasts, the gender twist 
of enjoying people not knowing what to do about you. Yes. That type of thing. If, if Spin. That spin. What gender am I? Ha <laughs> ha. You think you know, but now you're wondering. You know, that type of thing, that mix of genders. And I still enjoy that very much around me. Being part of that to the extent of knowing that my preference was to dress more male and present more male, but to these other people, I was not. Mm-hmm. And that they wouldn't quite know what to do about that. And that is, to me, a little bit like art in in the arts, music or dance or whatever you like. And it's also a bit of reclaiming. Yes. Just like people call you a queer or a fag or something. And then as my, my straight male friend would say, starting many years ago, he'd say, I'd say queers. And he'd say, you can say that. And I'd say, yes, I can. And he can't say that. No. Reclamation words. Yes. Yes. Reclamation of gender fuck you. So there you go. (laughs) I feel that you have fucked up my gender by having the standards and binaries and such. So I'm just going to fuck back with them. Yes. There you go. Good for you. Yeah. It's a little more of the F word than we usually have, but we have no children in the house. So yay. Yeah. I, I wish I could get away with more gender fuckery. Yeah, you would really enjoy that. I would. I yeah. I did when make, I could. It would make you happier if you could find ways of doing that. It probably would. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see that as an option in an elementary school. It's one of the reasons I have been hoping and wishing and praying and working my ass off towards getting into a secondary position because it is a little bit more accepted in a middle or a high school position. It, it totally is. And other people who have jobs like yours or work at a bank or something have to wait until they leave work too put on their gender fuckery, as you call it. Mm -hmm. Yes. So how about self-talk? You've mentioned that a lot too, the things you would tell yourself and the ways that you learn to adapt to. I know this isn't right, but I'm just going to make do. Right. That has, a, for me, to do with personal beliefs. And it may, for many people, have to do with personal beliefs. And I have heard other folks who've talked about, you know, being in a church community where being outside their designated gender expression was unacceptable and in most cases dangerous. And when you were growing up, that was not just specifically a religious community, while it was definitely part of that. It was just the entire culture at that point was still so pervasively religious that Western Judeo-Christian ideals were still gender normative as a culture. Yes, Yes. Thankfully, you were never That's subjected true. to conversion therapy. No, I was fortunate in that way. My parents grew up Catholic and went to Catholic schools for most of their schooling. Mm-hmm. And in Catholic school, apparently they go to church every morning mm-hmm. and to Mass, let mm-hmm. me say that. And they were, I think the the easiest way to describe their views were that they felt more spiritual than religious. They didn't appreciate religion. So they didn't put us through that. They would do the First Communion and uh, send you to Saturday. Confirmation. Yeah, your confirmation. Well, no. Actually, I, I don't think I, I was ever ha- had confirmation. My sister probably did because she was in Catholic school through high school. Ah. And they did put her into Catholic school later, but not because they, they were just going to do that. It was because she was causing other problems. that They thought religious school would help. They were trying to get her to stay in school and do what she was supposed to, and she would had a habit of getting kicked out of schools, and so 
Um, you wouldn't think that of her now. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's... Church-going church Catholic that she is. She totally is, and yeah. she's like the most conformist, middle-class white lady. She's very comfortable there. It's crazy. You know, it's kind of funny. It is. She's very quite comfortable in the, this is my world, and many people have that, live yeah. in that world that she lives in. Yeah. I'm glad she's happy there. That's good. People mm -hmm. should be happy where they have to be. So my parents didn't use religion against us. <laughs> they they went to Easter Mass and stuff like that. They didn't go to Christmas Mass, but they watched it on TV. They did watch it on TV. You could watch the Pope at Midnight Mass, so it was all good. All right. Yeah, I could get away with it by then. I think you're, you weren't supposed to drink and drive by then either, so, you know. <laughs> It was better for a lot of Catholics to sit watch the Pope on TV. Yeah. So I wasn't put through that, and my mother was clueless. My mother really was, despite the 70s and the sexual revolution just prior and during that. And, but my dad was not clueless, and that may have been because he got around more as a guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he wasn't clueless, but he wasn't, I don't think, entirely comfortable with it. But he wasn't entirely comfortable with me anyway. We had our issues. So I can't really segregate those from each other. In any case, nobody tried to fix me with religion. Although there was enough religion going on around me that was trying to fix queers, that I was out of the closet to myself for a little while, knowing it wasn't safe to do anything else about it. And then went back in because I, I went back to some religious practice that although it was more encompassing than just Christian religion, the Christian part of it definitely squashed the queer. And so I just kind of put that those outfits back in the closet and left them back there. Yeah. <laughs> and tried to deal with that because I apparently felt the need for whatever the religion part was going to give me. Mm -hmm. So then we, we didn't even just have a filter or anything else. We just took the whole set off the stage and put it in storage. <laughs> you know? That play was offline for some years. And I think I've heard a lot of people who have experienced this type of oppression from religion, whether they're just gay or they're any combination of queer, they've experienced that. They were told it was wrong or I didn't know if I, I don't know if I felt it was wrong. I don't think I could filter all that out. I felt that it was going to be a problem for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I felt <laughs> And so at that point, I don't know the adaptability is something that you have the luxury of or you do it out of survival. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not the same slant on things. Right. Sometime during my, my teenage years, I found some books at the library about trans folks, and I don't know how I found that. I, I know there was a show on TV that I liked because there was a character that I related to, and it was... Billy Crystal, and he was on soap. So now now people can figure out, I'm aging myself, that that show had a queer character in, and I thought, ah, I understand this. And it may have been that that made me go looking for these books on uh, the first woman who really got the positive press for a transition. Yes. <laughs> I decided around 14 that I was going to transition in my mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. but I had no idea to get there or how long it was going to take. Right. It, it really took a long time. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think I probably kind of knew it was going to take a long time to get there. Yeah. So some of the adaptability, I think, I find that I 
other people might find this too, that you can weave some hope in, in between the filters. Yes, pulling in those strands of queer touch points and queer inputs and goals of long-term achievement that even though they are not currently achievable, having that out there as an eventual end point or an eventual milestone. Or ho hope that things do get better. Yes. As problematic as the It Gets Better campaign is, having that available, having the idea of there is something better waiting for me is a huge thing. Making you dream what that could be. Mm -hmm. by seeing other persons that are like yourself in a way that none of the other people are right. around you. Mm -hmm. Our friend that emailed us mentioned looking in the mirror, and I remember looking in the mirror as a teenager just wishing for those secondary male sex characteristics to happen mm -hmm. anyway, believing that they should be happening and knowing that they wouldn't. Why the hell still, am I not getting a beard yet? Why is there no better little mustache happening there, you know? Mm -hmm. This is sad and, and still having this, what I knew was a false hope, but that that was my dysphoria of what I felt should be happening mm -hmm. against what was happening to me. Yes. And it's no longer with me, it's to me. This is happening to me and I don't want that. Yes. I want this other thing to be happening with me. And so at that point, there's also an element of externalizing the wrongness of it. It's not happening with you. It's happening to you. It's from the outside. It's this feminine gender ring is not me. It's outside of me. Yeah, I think so. I think that feeling of this is what should be happening and it's not happening because this other thing is wrong. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's wrong is not me. Right. So that was probably an advantage to my adaptability to know it wasn't me. Yes. But because it was happening to me, it was affecting me. And I noticed, and I don't know if I had brought this up to you before, when you were still presenting as female and when we were first dating and first married, you would often say, you know, when I would ask you about your gender and your identity and, you know, what should I express to other people who are curious about my really butch person on my desk picture. Mm -hmm. And you said, I don't know, you know, I'm not a girl, I'm not a boy. And you would always use juvenile terms. You wouldn't say man or woman. You would always say, I'm not a girl and I'm not a boy. And it sort of indicated to me at that point, even though I think I've said before, I kind of didn't want to see it because I had my own issues about it. Mm -hmm. But it indicated to me at that point that your development of your own gender had kind of gotten stuck in your boyhood. Yes, and I related to that in the book Becoming a Visible Man. Jameson Green talks about he was also stuck in his boyhood and was not going to become a man until he transitioned. And I think that's part of the denial adaptability of I am not this thing because I don't identify with this thing. And I, I'm not a woman, even though there seems to be something terribly wrong with my body that makes it look like that. Right. Because I don't identify with it. And I'm not a man because I didn't get to develop into a full-grown person mm -hmm. without my gender being part of that. So 
You had been adapting for a really, really long time. I had been adapting for many decades, and part of what changed and part of why I was subjecting myself to this adaptation was to do with those decades. When you do this kind of adapting for a certain amount of time, you gain some momentum. At, at least, let me just say, I gained some momentum. I don't know what the hell else people are doing. I can only <laughs> assume some other people are doing these things because usually if one person's doing them, somebody somewhere is doing the same thing. And you might gain momentum and get very used to it mm -hmm. and forget that you are doing this thing, even though you really do know that somewhere in there. So part of my realization was that I had been adapting so long because it started becoming harder. And it became harder because I was dealing with hormone changes that were making me insane. Menopause. I saw this in the movie we watched the other night. Mm-hmm. Alan Turing. I don't, yes. it's spoilers if you haven't seen this movie. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, the imitation game at the end where they've got him on the hormone therapy. They put him on estrogen pills. Estrogen makes you effing crazy. It made me effing nuts. And I've understood and I, I felt like really intensely terrible for him <laughs> seeing him. Yes. You know, he, he's acting. Yes, yes, but Benedict still. Benedict Cumberbatch is acting the role quite well. What estrogen will do to your male body and yes. brain. And, and oh my God. If your brain is not built for estrogen, then it's really just wrong. Menopause can be hard on any person. Yes. There wouldn't be so many books on how to cope with it if it wasn't. <laughs> However, for me, that was definitely part of it. The other part was, and this is probably how I ended up in that religion that I did, is my belief, and I wouldn't say it's a 100% belief, but it's a more than not belief in reincarnation and that in this lifetime, this was what I decided to do. But I had convinced myself of that some time ago out of some external things that had been presented to me. And it occurred to me that what if in this lifetime, it was my destiny to be this transgender person Yes, and go ahead and fucking transition already. <laughs> <laughs> and your faith is based around reincarnation, as you just said, and your understanding of the choices we make in between incarnations is that we are coming to humanity or to incarnation to learn things, to experience things as a result of choices that we made prior to our incarnations. We have decided this will be the best way to learn this. I think that's a... I know, but I think your Jesus thing is really nutty too. So there you have it. <laughs> right? Can I just sit in a class somewhere? Do I have to have all this experiential learning? This is the class. For fuck's sake. Anyhow, you know, over time, I wasn't as sure about that. And what it became was the part I just said, I wasn't as sure that needing to stay with my body the way it was, was what I needed. I was never fully convinced of that. However, I was not convinced that the changes that were available to me were going to make enough difference and balance out with, now we're adding a lot of things to the plate that we are balancing on top of the pole that's spinning, mm -hmm. spinning the plates, mm -hmm. the things I had in my life going on around me, responsibilities to take care of. All the other things that you had taken on to manage that had been a blessing in that they 
overlapped the other channels that you didn't want to hear and drowned them out for a while. But that also meant that then when the opportunities were available to appropriately manage those things and to turn up that channel, turn up that volume and process through it, there were still too many other inputs and you couldn't hear it that right. way. And, and some of those things were in part welcoming distractions and some of them were in part things I felt compelled to also cope with in this lifetime, whether it was my from my childhood experience and we got want to go all Freudian or something else. Those were things I felt pulled towards or familiar with, whatever you may label them as. And by the, that time, I had really filled those spinning plates. But, you know, I can picture them coming off the poles and cracking and all kinds of things happening. And because at some point in my life, which was a little before when I decided to transition, I changed all of those things. And some of them started to change around me and what those responsibilities were. And they became more towards my son mm-hmm. and being a parent. And they became different in all the other aspects in my world around me because of that. Mm -hmm. And it freed me from the beliefs of what I was supposed to do into what I felt I needed to do. And then as I did that, and you and I got together, and I started menopause, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's not Uh, your fault. No, it's not. And you'll have to deal with me sooner or later anyway. Don't I know it, (laughs) because I've been there. I'm sorry. Oh, it's not good. I'm hoping we can at least plan it by having everything out in a few years and planning my menopause when it's... I think you should go to my gynecologist because I think she's reasonable and you could talk her into doing what you needed instead of what was somehow expected in the world. I need to talk to my GP and get the recommendation for that first because Mm -hmm. the insurance may or may not follow directions. Yeah, talk to her about problems that you're having. Yes. So anyway... So in any case... Between menopause and having... The pressure of the menopause, the chemical pressure of it, led me to that, I don't even want to say boiling point. These were catalysts in the chemistry of, like, I can't think of the word, it's it's similar to when the, the light goes on, I can feel that light, the light went on, you know, we're looking for... the circuit. We're looking, we close the circuit and, and I'm standing there in the shower after the gym sometime in... January, January two, years ago. two years ago. And and I say, wait, I don't have to do this anymore. Oh, that is perfect. I won't. And then I knew what to do. And I came home and we're sitting on the bed and you were pretty freshly showered. And I got home and we were passing a little bit of time before we had to go and pick up kids from their after school club. And we're sitting there talking to each other. And you said... I think I'm all done being a woman now. I am done with this. (laughs) I tried it. It was really hard. I feel for them. I'm getting off the train. And my first thought was, for real this time? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding, huh? (laughs) For real this time. For real. And plus, I knew a little bit more about what to do. And I didn't have all those other things I had set up to help me deal with them that were distracting me in the way anymore. The heat from the catalyst of chemicals Mm -hmm. burned off all the residue and, you know, we had a totally different morphing going on here. I don't know what to say. It's just a different... We're mixing metaphors left and right. All mixed together and coming out the right way. And I hadn't at that point ever even looked on YouTube or anything. I had heard there were 
videos on YouTube that were lots of trans guys and and I was very skeptical. And at that point, I was probably more familiar with the online transgender community than you were even. You're you're familiar with the online anything more than I am, so. Yes, but that definitely is true. anything related to gender differences. Yes. You would be familiar with, especially online, because that's your native country. The internet is my native country, but mm-hmm. anyway. So I told you, you know, here's this and here's this and here's these other guys. Here's what's going on and let me know how I can help. And I knew that I needed to go and get a doctor to get on board. And so then I chased after that for a while. And if you want to know what the, went on then, just go Episodes back to episode the, number one. I think starting in about 8, 9, or 10 and on through the teens and maybe the early 20 numbers were you working through the process of getting health care. Mm-hmm. American insurance system pre-Obamacare. Way pre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they were just still trying to shoot that thing down all the time. Before they it could really are. get going. Yeah, well, they, they are, <laughs> but it's already it's posted, so... So I, I hope that that explains some of my adaptability. Mm-hmm. I would like to hear about other people's adaptability if they'll tell us, but yes. that would be great. Comment on this episode at our website, transpantastic.net, or on the link to this website on whichever social media site you follow us at. Reviews and ratings on your podcatcher are always great. We love seeing those as well. Make words somewhere. It's fun. So I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. Yep. Okay. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening! Their proximity, that's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) There's a person standing over there and... (laughs) We we have lots of good noises going on now. Yes. What's next? Dog. Cute dog. Yes. Told ya. Well, he's always a little late with his cue. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm sorry. No. No. It might be a day that I end up putting him outside and letting him bang his head against the door. <laughs> okay. I think he's just That's licking it. air at this point. Get out. Come on. Let's go. Come outside. <sighs> Come on. Let's go. Come on. Go outside. Go away. Put this here and he can see us and maybe he won't bang against it. Mm-hmm. We'll just sit there. Good luck. If he's licking, he'll be farther away. Yes. I'm looking at you because I'm like, how the F does he lick louder from farther away? <laughs> because it's a straight shot with the sound waves before I was in the way. Right. Well, that's I. He needs some more vitamin B, apparently. Um, 
I'm enjoying seeing birds right there, by the way. So good. I'm probably going to end up talking to the birds again. <laughs> <laughs> you go right ahead and talk to the birds. All right. Well, why do you get to clean your glasses and I don't get to clean mine? I'm noisier, huh? <laughs> yeah, basically. Okay. Now there's a squeaking creature, isn't there? Told you I should have shot him. I forgot to dig the hole first, though. <laughs> I love I'm you. feeling mean today. <laughs> I've noticed. Yeah. Just in general. Uh, I wonder if I should reduce my testosterone or something. No, because it's... Uh, today is Saturday. Since Thursday? I felt this way yesterday and today. Well, yesterday didn't feel quite as bad. Today huh. I feel a little grumpier. What should we do with him? Open our door and see if he shuts up? I think he'll stop. Okay. Talking to each other and you said... I don't know what I said. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to you. Ha 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 ha!